Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for gathering us here today. Um, Yeah, we remember who you are in your holiness. We remember who you are uh, in the person of Jesus Christ, how you came in the flesh. We ask that you would speak to us today as we quiet our hearts. We also pray that you would enliven us by your spirit. And so we sit and we stand and we wait for you. Thank you for being with us today, Father. Um, We ask that you would bless this time together, and we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so so nice to be here. I was looking at the the weather this week, you know, thinking a hurricane might be heading towards us and imagining what that might look like and what Sunday morning would look like. And it's just so nice that that we're all here, that everyone's safe. Um, we do need to remember in prayer those in the Bahamas that experienced that hurricane, but it's just a, a blessing to be here on a nice, cool October morning. I love October. I love the fall. It's my favorite time of year. Um, for those that don't know me, I am Barry. I'm one of the elders here at Cornerstone. For the last month, not last month, for the last nine months or so, um, if you've been a part of this body at all, you know that we have been in the book of 1 John. And uh, Cornerstone, we, we ask a lot of our body. <laughs> we ask for you to engage nine months of 1 John. Uh, and before that, it was about a year's worth of James. And we have spent uh, a good two years in a really, um, really life-giving journey of exploring and re-looking at the text of both James and 1 John and, and, and to see them in, in fresh ways and see them the way that the authors, James, the brother of Jesus, and, and John, the disciple, uh, wrote these letters. So today marks the end, the formal end, of that nine-month process of being in 1 John. And so today, as Justin said, we're going to do a sort of creative liturgy today as we look back at 1 John, the text, as we look back on our engagement and experience of 1 John over the last nine years, and also as we experienced this 1 John teaching and this, this, this time of 1 John, also in the context of our time with James as well. A lot of times it's easy to look at books like James and 1 John and think that they don't really meet. James was concerned, of course, with a church that was scattered and facing a lot of real trials. And the church was in danger of being split because uh, the church was not loving themselves well. The church was not loving the church well. The church was not loving the world well. And so James wrote a, a message that, that when you read James, you don't see the cross. The cross of Jesus is not in the pages of James but the cross of Jesus is very much in the spirit of James. And James was calling the church at the time to live lives like Christ led his life and to do good works to exhibit their faith to truly love each other. And then we have a book like 1 John where John is speaking uh, about love and the gospel and you can see the cross of Christ on every page. And we find through two years of study that these messages are, are one. They're the same message. Um, but it's, it's messages for the church at different times, and it's a message for the church today as we experience. So today's going to be a creative liturgy. We're going to read the text of 1 John. 1 John, of course, was intended to be engaged as a full letter. 
It was written as a full letter, and we're going to engage it today as a full letter. There's going to be a time of musical worship. There's going to be, um, there's going to be art uh, that you have seen over the course of the last nine months that's going to show up on the screen uh, that will maybe help you to, to re-spark and re-remember uh, some of the things that you engaged in the last nine months. Uh, we're going to have a time of communion today. We're going to have a time together of communion. We're going to have a time of deep, intimate prayer um, And we look forward to the Spirit to lead us today, just as he's led us in the last nine months through 1 John, to lead us today. Uh, The day is going to end, culmination with prophecy mic. The prophecy mic is open on both sides here at the end of the day. And that is for the body to speak, for the body to speak to each other, to let us know how you engaged 1 John. What were the ways that the Spirit spoke to you? How did God engage you? How How did Jesus meet you in the place where you are, in the place that you were over the course of the nine months, to speak those words of encouragement and edification to the body. So the prophecy mic will be open uh, at the end. So this is participatory, and we invite, um, we invite you all to, to engage the service and to engage the last nine months of our body life here at Cornerstone through First John. Let's, let's pray um, just to invite the Spirit uh, into this morning. It's already been done, but... Just want to invite him again. Uh, Lord Jesus, Father God, Holy Spirit, we, um, we are privileged to, to meet in this place as a body. We are privileged to call ourselves the sons and daughters of you, Father. Uh, Jesus, we rejoice in knowing and having assurance of um, the victory that we have in you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would inhabit this place. Spirit, we pray that your word would be heard that the word that you spoke over the last few months would be remembered and heard again. Spirit, we pray that you would move among this body, that you would again speak to us today, that you would see us well, and that you would um, be glorified by our worship today. Father, we pray that you are glorified by your children uh, that gather together. And Jesus, we pray and lift this service and ministry to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. First part of today is just a, a reading of a, um, a very short homily to remind us to recollect what 1 John was all about. 1 John was not written with any intent of being a book compiled in a collection of holy scriptures by a proclaimed theologian, even though that is what it and he ultimately became. Rather, 1 John was simply the first of many letters written by one of the simple man simple men, now at the time of writing an old man, who knew the God-man Jesus the best, and whom was known intimately by the Savior. This old man John was, after all, in earlier days, the disciple that Jesus loved. At the time of his writing, he was one of, if not the last surviving member of Jesus' closest community. And with this, the beloved disciple wrote a very real, very intimate love letter to the still-fledgling bride that Jesus loved so deeply and for whom he gave his life. The beloved John wrote this letter to the church, his beloved little children, out of a deep concern, the concern of a father, grandfather, shepherd, that the church was in danger of falling astray. Not just the danger of losing their way, 
but more critically, a danger of losing their first love. It was a danger of forgetting who Christ really was. A danger of trading their adored bridegroom and savior for some cheap, worldly imitation. John was desperate in the, in the intense, not the despairing sense of the word, to convey to his beloved little children the assurance that Jesus was precisely who he said he was, who he claimed to be, and who they were. In turn, precisely who they were because Jesus made them to be. Living sons and daughters of the living God. John so wanted and so needed the church to remember who they were because of the I am. The church at the time was hearing many voices. These voices had names. Dualism, Serinthianism, Docetism, Gnosticism. These voices said many things about them, about their world. And these many voices and messages called for the church to believe various lies that drove to the core of their faith. That there was a special knowledge available to some but not all, and this knowledge could lead to the understanding of deep, mysterious truths. Truths that God did not actually create the world, that righteousness and evil are equal pursuits, that the flesh could not be redeemed, and therefore the purpose of faith is simply to escape the evil that they did and suffered and could not and should not try to control. Most dangerously, though, these voices spoke about the bridegroom, about the firstborn of creation, in messages that called his bride to believe tantalizing things about him, that the spiritual Christ was never actually a man and therefore could never have died, or that this Jesus was never actually divine, and therefore could never have been victorious over death or sin. Of course, those messages were deceptions, as all lies are, sounding like truth, but leading to destruction. And so, because these voices and messages offered divided images of Jesus that were not really Jesus, because they proposed to replace the immortal God with the mortal philosophies of man. Because they called for the men and women of God to live the divided lives that Jesus and even James warned against, John hated these idols. But John, the beloved of Jesus, continued to love Christ's church because he knew that the Father never wanted his children to live divided from him and divided from who they were by the very real blood and the very real flesh and the very real sacrifice and the very real redemption that was paid on the cross by Jesus. In the midst of these messages of deception, John implored the deeply loved children of God to cling to the Jesus that was real, to walk in deep, confident assurance that the God that they desired to know already knew them, to rest in the confidence that this intimate God was himself knowable, to realize that this knowledge of a loving God was accessible to them now, in the world, in the flesh, to know that the victory they longed for was theirs in the present, and not just in some near or far-off redeemed future. <clears throat> 
In short, John was calling the church to again receive the gospel of Jesus Christ that first saved them. The the solution was not some mystical revelation available only by special knowledge. Rather, the beloved disciple of Jesus encouraged his beloved children to refocus their eyes on the simple truth of the gospel, to reground them in the truth of the basis of their faith, to exchange the false teaching and beliefs that they had learned for the truth of God's love, which is the gospel, Jesus. John implored them to simply believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Most High God, who came in physical flesh to their world. He called them to live the righteousness of Jesus, following his commands. And he called them to love each other, to really love each other. In the end, John implored the church to do what their father God had been calling his people to do from the beginning of his relationship with them, to end idolatry and worship him alone, to see that God is one and the beauty of Christ is undivided and his victory was their victory. Today, nearly 2,000 years later, we have met together and have read the words of John's letter many times over. Though the voices may have different names, the messages that we hear are similar even if we don't call them by their ancient names. Just like John's little children, we are surrounded by voices that call us to divided lives through divided understandings of who Jesus really is. It turns out that we're not that different from the beloved children to whom John was writing. We do not need to look very far to see that many of those heresies that risked the church back then are alive and well in us today. Indeed, We are those beloved children, even today. And the call from John is as true for us in 2015 as it was for the church back then. Over the last nine months, Cornerstone has been invited to the same 2,000-year-old calling to pass the test of faith. So John implores us, his beloved Cornerstone, to answer these questions. Do we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Most High God, who came in flesh to our world to bring us victory today? Do we live the righteousness of Jesus following his commands? Do we love each other, really love each other, and not just say that we do? (coughs) If we have confidence in these things, then we need nothing else to assure us. The victory of Jesus on the cross was the victory to the church back then. It is the victory to us today. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry. So this is my summary, my written summary of the book of 1 John. But I know that you've engaged it as well. So what have you heard? How has the Spirit spoken to you over the last nine months? How has the Spirit spoken to you today? We invite you to speak this to Cornerstone, focusing on the text of 1 John and what the Spirit might have said to edify, to encourage, to build up you and the body of Christ. So we invite you to the prophecy mic at the end of today. We ask that you keep those words to about a minute, um, but we're not going to be martinets over it. If you're wondering what to say, thanks, Gene. I can just tell you how I engaged it 
and I might take a little more than a minute. Um, as I was studying First John, the words of Paul in Philippians spoke, at, spoke to me. And Paul said, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through the faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attend the resurrection of the dead. As we engage First John, what occurred to me was I was wondering, if he was here today, if Jesus came back and sat in Cornerstone today, and I don't mean in the eschatological sense, but if he was just here today, would I actually recognize him? Would I know who he was, or, would, or, were, or are my impressions of Jesus so clouded by the things that I've heard in life that I would not even see him? When he was here the first time, he was rejected by most and accepted by few. And First John spoke to me that question. If Jesus was here today, would I actually know him for who he is? Or would I miss him entirely? And so for me, First John, my prophecy, Mike's statement, is that. Would you know him? Would we as Cornerstone know Jesus? Like Paul said, I desire nothing more than to know Jesus. And, and First John spoke that word to me. I now want to know Jesus, the real Jesus, more than anything else. All of the other stuff of who I am and what I've learned in life doesn't matter at this point. The only thing that matters is the real Jesus. So today... We invite the same to you. How did you engage the word? How did the spirit speak to you? Uh, join us as we read the text. Join us as we worship. Uh, join us in communion. Uh, join us in prayer today as we look back on 1 John. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. First John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. First John 1, 1 John 2, 1 to 6. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, not, does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his, com- his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. First John 2, 7-11. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 1 John 2, verse 12 to 17. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. 
Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. First John two twenty eight to chapter three verse ten and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident that who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil— Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I've been asked to offer um, some prayer. So, I have written a prayer, and I've never written prayers. So, I will read the prayer, and I would ask that you would join me by bowing your heads and closing your eyes and uh, inviting rest to your mind and spirit. Father, your word says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Father, the spirit of judgment creates cycles of sin, and there are cycles of sin that wrestle within us. May we obey your commands, God, and align with the truth truth of your spirit. That where there is the Spirit of God, there is truth and light, and no other spirit can dwell. Your house cannot be divided against itself. Judgment seeks to divide. We divide each other, we judge each other to keep us separate from those we judge to self-protect. God, align us with you. Take from us the sin of judgment that creates gaps within the body. 
And in its place, we ask you put the powerful love of Christ among us, which is the spirit of truth, love, and light. So we not only repent of our judgment towards one another, but also our judgment towards our own selves. When we are caught in a cycle of sin that ensnares us, we take the liberty to climb into the judgment seat and judge ourselves with guilt and shame. We become weighed down by these things, these cloaks of guilt and shame, that we separate ourselves from you. You alone sit in the throne of judgment. This is not our job. Oh, how we have transgressed you deeply when we take this liberty. Lastly, we engage the spirit of judgment when we judge you. We tell you how to be God. How you are doing things right or wrong. How you could do a better job at being God. How you could make us more happy or more fulfilled if you were to do this or that. This may be one of the greatest ills and transgressions of the church in our day. We have made you a spineless, subservient, weak God. Oh, Father, how wrong, how desperately wicked we are. Save us from ourselves. So, God, together we remove ourselves from this place of the judgment seat that is not ours. And in repentance we give it back to you as your rightful seat. In fact, you have judged and your rightful judgment is clear in the scripture that if we're your children then we're clean We are holy. We are righteous. Because we stand with and are hidden in the life and the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. So it is not on our own merit or our own works that we are clean, holy, and righteous. But it is your decree. It is your statement in your government as king, ruler, and our loving father. So we put an end to the spirit of judgment here at Cornerstone. We agree together in the spirit of repentance, oneness, and love that we turn from judgment. The cycle of sin we hold against one another, against our own selves, against you as God, is as good as dead to us. For the truth of your word has washed us. We receive your kind rebuke and loving correction from your word. We receive the light that has shone through our darkness. 
and we stand with your son cleansed and purified before you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the light of your word, for your discipline that clearly means that we are your children. Thank you for the aligning act of repentance and the sheer joy of your righteousness and presence. Thank you for the delight we have to dwell in your house. Your commandments, your statutes, your regulations, your law of grace, the structure of your government, your home, brings faith, hope, and love. Hallelujah and amen. I'm going to read a piece of scripture from uh, Matthew chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And so we have, uh, you know, as uh, we prepare to come to the table together, we have this picture of Jesus with his disciples as I think about, um, as we were recounting this morning, I hear the language of family, father, son, children. I think of inheritance, even hearing that as we listen this morning. Um, you know, the table is an intimate setting, and in Jesus' day, they reclined at the table. And in our culture, when we hear recline, we probably think lazy boy. It wasn't, it wasn't a lazy boy, because actually if you try to recline at a table with a lazy boy, unless you put it parallel to the table, you're still kind of away from the table. You're actually laying like on a mat with each other. So, you know, you're low with one another. And even when I think about like modern day table, coming around the table. Um, I mean, I have a picture of family. I have a picture of my own family. Last night we had some friends over, and the table's an intimate time. I dropped a green bean in my guest glass. Uh, I think my son couldn't operate the water pitcher. We had water all over the table. You know, it can be messy. Uh, it's intimate. You hear noises. You see stuff. Sometimes you spray stuff. It's an intimate time. We have this picture of family. As we take from the table this morning, think about as you come to the table, there's not necessarily a set way that you come to the table. I mean, I don't know about you at your house, but when we come to the table, sometimes things are forgotten, or this person's doing that and that person's doing this, and uh, you, know, you never even necessarily take the same track to the table, to come to the table. So as we come to the table as family today, 
We have a central location at the cross. Please come from any angle and, and leave from any angle. Um, one phrase I hear around my table often is, excuse my reach. Stuff drops. Sometimes we don't say please pass. Sometimes we bump elbows. That's okay. It's an intimate time. So as we remember today, we remember Christ's body, broken, sacrificed for us. His place where we couldn't be, his gift from a great father, and his blood shed, his blood that covers over our sin and washes us, that we can have that inheritance in Christ with God the Father. I think the worship team is going to lead us in this time. And remember, we're family. We're God's family. Remember that definition. We all have definition of family. Remember God's definition of family. In Christ, we are joint heirs. Let's come together in this intimate time as we remember his body and blood. 1 John three eleven to 24 For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 4, 1-6 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. 
Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. 1 John four thirteen to 21 By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. First John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 1 John 5, 6-12 This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not 
have life. 1 John 5:13-21 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we shall have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Uh, So, prophecy mic time. I'm going to kick things off, and then you can come to either one of these. They're both on, so uh, whichever one suits you better. Um, As I've been thinking today about 1 John, and uh, what Barry shared at the very beginning about uh, not trading the real Jesus for a false Jesus... Uh, at some point during this First John series, Jay was teaching, and he talked about Moses and that uh, God couldn't fully reveal himself to Moses because it would kill him. Um, and so Moses had to look at the back of God, like the shadow of the back of God from a hole in a rock, and even then his face glowed and to the point where people couldn't look at him without a veil on his face. And... Uh, he shared some, he, Jay shared some other scriptures about that stuff, and I don't remember all of them or all the other stuff, but that one stuck in my mind. And then uh, he talked about uh, David in Psalm 27, where David says, the one thing that I have asked of the Lord is to live in his presence and to gaze upon his beauty. And that, 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 like that of all the things that David wanted, that's the one thing that he really wanted from God, is I want to be able to gaze on your beauty. And when I thought about what Barry said at the beginning and put those two things together, that, uh, like, how many times do I trade gazing at God's beauty for gazing at something else that might be beautiful but isn't God? Or is God's beauty perverted into something else or that isn't beautiful at all, but I'd still rather look at that than at God? Um, And even if it's looking at myself like Sherry talked about and prayed about and judging myself and getting caught in that mire of shame and all that. Um, But that the veil doesn't have to be there anymore. Like we don't have to wear a veil when we look at God because God has revealed himself fully to us now. He tore the veil in the temple and opened up the Holy of Holies and we can step in. And uh, so all of that's not necessarily from 1 John, but that the fact that God has revealed himself fully to us and that uh, there's not a need to either trade it for an imitation or yeah we don't have to do that we don't we don't have to you know try to fill in the gap the gap isn't there anymore there's god and there's us and we can be right there first john's a a great book uh 
I've always liked it because he was an eyewitness of Jesus. He was with Jesus. Last week, Justin talked about uh, the authority of Scripture and the wounds of Jesus and the love of God. And uh, those three things is where we need to stand, where we need to live as Christians. So there were a lot of messages that touched me throughout these months, but that one really, really last week touched me. I really felt that is where we need to be living as Christians. The, the, the wounds of Jesus that avail for us, the authority of Scripture without which I don't think we can stand in this world. And then thirdly is, is, is the love of God. And we just need to be walking in that. From what Mike had shared, uh, as I experienced First John, um, knowing God was like the major, major piece as I've considered what, what does that mean to know God, to really know God. Um, chapter 3 of First John, I'm going to read, uh, it's actually uh, three parts of three different verses, but I'll just read them as one. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. I wrote this down so that I could get through it. <laughs> um, as we've walked through First John... Um, the most beautiful thing about it for me was the continuous pointing to who Christ really is. And the fact that Jesus is who he is. He is among us. He is with us. And our circumstances have no bearing and cannot, even for a moment, shake who Jesus is. And because of that, just because of that, I can sing praise, I can rejoice, and I will be saved every moment of every day. First John has week after week reminded and affirmed in me that Jesus is a strong, steadfast, unwavering bedrock on which I stand even as every other thing crumbles. And then... Um, one of the verses that we've read through this time is Matthew 7:25, and I want to share that. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. I really appreciate the, the teachings um, around understanding some of the ideas that the false teachers were teaching, especially the four. Um, different heresies and, and that kind of thing. And um, it can be really easy, you know, from our day and age, we look back at that and be like, well, that seems really stupid. Like, how could they do that? It's easy to, you know, to point the finger and judge. Um, but then when we think about it in our own lives, just the idols that, that we're drawn to, um, you know, it can be really um, convicting in, in that way. And, uh, but, but throughout that, just, just as, as several people have been saying, just that, that constant message, like with, in connection with that, with, with the false teachers, is that there is no other place for life other than, than Jesus Christ. Like he is, he is the source of life they've been given. We've been given the, the message, and we either receive it and, and receive the life that he has, or 
if we turn our back on it, like there's no other place to go. There's there's no other place. In in uh, chapter five, it says, "Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life." And so, just that, it just seemed like week week after week, we're just constantly being drawn to Jesus, and He is He is the life, um, and we either we either receive it or or we reject it and then and those who reject it don't have life uh so i have too many things to say <laughs> those of you that know me well would not be surprised by that um first i want to say it before i think probably before we started going through first john i uh, started going through and i'm still going through this process of sort of like uh deconstructing and reconstructing things that I have held uh, as far as like my faith and theology and different things like that. And one thing that I kept seeing and hearing over and over and over and over again was like, I need, like, I don't know who Jesus really is. Like, and I need to know who Jesus really is. Um, so several people said things along those lines and it was just like really cool going through First John because they like tied in so strongly to that like as far as false Christ versus the true Christ. Um, so that was the one thing. And the other thing that I'll say is that um, I thought that uh, I read in a book recently, again, very connected with things we've been talking about in First John. Uh, it asked the question, like, um, why is it that love is not the true test of orthodoxy? Like, has there ever been a time in church history, maybe there has, but that orthodoxy was truly tested by the love um, and I've been like really convicted and encouraged by that at the same time because I know that I am my heart is inclined toward myself. Uh, you know, we as Americans are inclined toward ourselves. We as humans are inclined inclined towards ourselves. We're not inclined uh, toward God. We're not inclined toward others. Um, but that like love is that miracle. <laughs> love and mercy and forgiveness are that miracle that proved to me that like that God is real, that proved to me that Jesus is who he said he was. Um and that uh it it might cost me everything. It might cost me convenience, it might cost me comfort, it might cost me everything to love somebody that I don't want to love, um, to give dignity to someone that I don't think deserves it, to judge or to, to withhold judgment and instead give grace and mercy. Um, but that is the church. That is us being Christ's body. That is us walking as he walked, is walking in love, walking filled with love. Um, and if we're not doing that, is, are we being the church? Um, so that's my exhortation. I uh, uh, haven't been with you all for a while, and... Uh, didn't realize this was the 20th anniversary, and uh, that seems hard to believe. I don't feel old enough to have been a part of uh, uh, this gathering 20 years ago. Uh, but I thought you'd be interested in knowing that when we, a handful of us met in a little room over in the YMCA, actually over that way, um, and I was praying about, you know, what, where to begin, where to begin this work, what... Uh, what would call us to be the kind of church that God was attempting to raise up in uh, the city of Lebanon? As I prayed about that, uh, decided to begin the teaching with First John. And it wasn't a nine-month. Uh, it, was, uh, it was at least three, uh, between three and five months. 
But the thing that I found most compelling about John uh, as, as I, uh, you know, thought about how to, uh, you know, where, where should the roots of this ministry be, it was that prologue uh, to the letter, you know, that which we have seen with our own eyes, that which we've heard, that which we've touched with our lives, that is what we want to share with this community. So that... Uh, those that we invite to be a part of this fellowship will know fellowship, not just with us, because we're not all that special, but we'll have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we're not sure where that's going, but as uh, our our sister shared in the beginning of uh, chapter 3, we don't know where this is all going, but we know this, that one day, we will be like him, this Jesus that we've come to not just know intellectually, but experience in the very depths of our lives. So God bless you. You're, we, I think we got it. I was actually really thinking about this. Like Prior to you guys getting into the book of John, I was always in the book of James for so long. And so notice the different perspective of what John brought because he, like Mike said, he was like eyewitness to what Jesus did on this earth. And I think like near the end of this whole conclusion of First John, I fully understand that at that point, Jesus knew exactly how we felt. He knew exactly the pains we feel. He experienced everything. He knew what it felt to be frustrated. He knew it felt to be overwhelmed. He, knew, he felt all these things. And I'm actually teaching about being fully human, fully God tonight with a youth group. And seeing how all this kind of is connected and how I tried to figure out the full message of it. But first John, like John really explains a lot of it. How Jesus knew what it felt like to be unpopular and everything and to face persecution. But yet he still loved those people. Even in that persecution, he still showed love. And he showed humbleness. And it was really tough because it's hard for me, and I totally agree with what Jake said, it's hard to show love to people that are offending us or hurting us. And I think Jesus is just wants us to know that he understands that he's, he's been through that. But he still just wants us to love out of who we are and how much he loved us. So that's what I got out of First John. When I, th- I just want to share about how when, as an individual, as a human being, Sometimes in a fallen ways, we, we want to say, well, I'm just human. Um, and over the course of the last few weeks, especially going through the communion and just realizing that Jesus was human, for me to say, well, I'm only human, um, is not truthful. It, it puts it in a negative light to say I'm sinful, to say I'm fallen, to say I'm broken, to say I'm separated, I've been separated from God. That is where we are as humans, but to say I'm human is to belittle what God has done because God created us as humans. And I believe God put Jesus on earth as a human to live as we are. And it's, uh, I feel there's more to being human that we don't need to escape out of this to be something else. That um, God sent his son to live as we are. He saved us as a human. He died on the cross as a human. 
in, in flesh. The blood that he shed was real blood, the kind of blood that we know, so that we can be children of God, so that we can see that light, so that we can share in that fellowship, which is more than we can see with our eyes. Um, something that touched me really deeply recent, like in the last two weeks, is um, re-experiencing what, what it means to see yourself as a child of God, that I'm his child, and that puts me under his authority, and that puts me under his judgment, not my judgment or any other judgments that have been put against me in the past. And the thing that I kept hearing today is that his judgment on me, on us, on Cornerstone, his judgment is love. And that is a love that has been from the beginning. (laughs) And the word that was so significant to me is that it was the love that came before any rejection ever came. It sounds so simple. It, you want to say, I'm beyond it. I graduated. Give me something more, you know, like legit. I'm spiritual. But there's nothing, there's nothing more legit than that. His judgment is love. One short thing. I just want to reiterate something that Rhett said. The way he said it just, like, hit me in such a profound way. And so I might just be essentially saying what he just said. But when he, when he, the phrase he used, that, like, that Jesus came to live as we are. And then in my mind it finished with, so that we could live as he did. Like there's just, like when we're talking about like where heaven meets earth, like we went through that for a long time as far as like who Jesus was, the divine and the human fully. Like he came to live as we are, like as fully human, so that we could live as he did, which is fully human. Um, So that just blew my mind and I just wanted to like, I just wanted to say it again because I think that is beautiful. Well, maybe our timing wasn't that off from the spirits anyway. Um, for benediction, I, what I really want to do is read chapters 14 through the end of the book of John, but I won't do that. Um, I will just say this, that John's heart for the church is so evident in, in, in 1 John, and his heart for his Savior is so pure. And you can read it from the, the pages of his text. And I would just invite you all, from chapter 14 of the Gospel of John through about 17, is the greatest depiction that you can read of Jesus' own heart for us. And the common theme today has been to really know who Jesus was. If you want to know who Jesus was, explore his word. And if you want to know where to start, start with the Gospel of John, same writer, verses 14 through se- or chapters 14 to 17. I was just going to pick a section of this to read. It could have been any of them. I'm just going to read this as our benediction. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is again Jesus talking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. 
Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here.